Well, several children from a small New Zealand town go missing, one after the other. An unlikely detective enters the police investigation in the form of Lorraine. She's usually found in the bowels of the station, keeping all the paperwork in order. This is the premise of Paper Cage, the debut novel by Tom Baraguanath, last year's winner of the Michael Gifkins Literary Prize. Tom now works in Paris, but his novel is based where he grew up, in Masterton in the Wairarapa. Robin Jackery reads from Paper Cage. Detective Hayes says, And nothing about it strikes you as odd. My hands are fists in my lap. Someone snatching up our kids and nobody seeing anything? In a cheap-by-jail place like Masterton? I take a breath. Yeah, it's odd. Watching driveways might as well be the national pastime here. He nods to himself. My eyes stay on him, looking for something I can recognise. I need to know how a person can deal with this kind of information, this weight. The faces of Precious and Hemi, their tiny details filling up stacks of paper downstairs. Friends, clothes, what they were wearing when last seen. Every piece of it is another stone on my chest. It should never happen, and yet it has. It's happened, and we've let it. And what are we doing about it? Tom, first of all, the idea for this was that, was that the character of Lorraine, because she's really intriguing mm-hmm. when it comes to sleuths. Yeah. This is quite a different kind of um, job perspective for me. Sure. But um, what came first for you? Well, yeah, the, the book sort of really started, um, I wanted to explore um, whether or not it was possible to write a sort of crime procedural story that as soon as you get any anywhere near procedural elements, sort of like the the whiteboard with the 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 names linking together, or you know stacks of files, that um I guess the the camera in the book, if you will, sort of draws away and focuses on what kind of biscuits have they got in the staff room, or focusing on that that really sort of mundane detail of um of working life in, in a police station, um and see if I could sort of pull that off really um. But I sort of started working on that and realised, you know, this is going to be a kind of pithy little satirical exercise that I might enjoy writing, but that the reader wouldn't necessarily latch onto. Um, and so I thought I should give this thing some oomph and really try and have a, a sort of capital P plot, if, if that makes sense. Well, it does too. Yeah. And I mean, and again, within I think it's page three, we know that we're talking about missing children mm-hmm. yeah. in Martinborough. So CSI Masterton, I yeah, think yeah, was yeah. one of the phrases that you had. <laughs> but, but Lorraine's role in this is core. She's a great character. Mm. She's working in the police station, so she she's tainted by association. Yeah. The community is suspicious of her. Her whanau in the community is suspicious yeah. of her. It's, yeah. She's in a really difficult situation, but she yeah. loves her work. She's great at it. You know, one, one thing that I really wanted to explore in this book as well is this idea um, of what David Foster Wallace in his um, posthumously published novel he calls, uh, in, in The Pale King, he calls the sort of the heroism of, of boredom. And part of it is, um, you know, there are, the, the world really turns on these kinds of quite mundane, quite repetitive jobs that are done out, outside the view of anyone and that maybe we should pay a lot more attention to. And um, that was certainly something that I wanted to explore, just the idea that these kinds of cases, these kinds of, uh, of, of problems, I guess, are solved more through just sheer repetitive grunt work of the kind that Lorraine does. And I mean, it's, it's great to hear, to hear that, that observation that she does enjoy the work because I did want to, to sort of describe um, something that, it, while it may not be all that glamorous, it really is core to her identity, identity um, and that she's great at it, and that you know she does make really, really meaningful contributions to, I guess, the, the overall um, 
operation of the justice system and, and the police system in, in Macedon. Is there such a thing as a records clerk? I, um, I looked into this really briefly, and I believe some stations used to have them. The, it's funny you ask this because... Um, as part of the, I guess, the scene setting, I wanted to look into whether or not the Macedon police station, in fact, has a basement. I wasn't able to find this out, so I thought, well, I'll just run with this. Hopefully the reader won't, won't be that interested in the architectural details of, of the world, as is discussed at different points in the book. It's something that is evolving within um, the police system, and there used to be a lot, a lot more record clerks, um, which I think now everything's being digitised and so not, not to give anything away there. Well, reading this, yeah. police stations may want to bring back. I mean, maybe so. Clerk, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> uh, and she, she is, she's kind of behind the scenes, as you say, so she, mm. she's doing the, the grunt work. And it takes somebody else. It takes a, a detective from Wellington to come mm. in yeah. to actually see her value. And then suddenly, I mean, it, it's a great opportunity for her to be included in mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. important investigation. But that puts her offside with her colleagues who aren't too happy about it, right? Yeah, of course. And there's a lot of sort of, I guess, the jockeying that happens in any office um, anywhere in the world, be it like, you know, a large city or small town New Zealand or, yeah. And um, that's one thing I really want to look at is the sort of, the, the sort of minute political um, details of the office that, that happens as well. Uh, and, you know, she's got a long history with everyone because she's been there for, for so long. It's a, a way of living vicariously too because, you know, with, with being uh, based overseas now and the work that I do is totally remote, so this is the, my day job that I'm talking about, it was really sort of quite a thrill um, to be able to write about those mundane sort of office interactions and sort of, you know, pretend that I was uh, able to pers- participate in those again myself. What made Martinborough, the Wairarapa, mm-hmm. the perfect place for this? I've been reflecting, yeah. you know, we've got detectives now in Dunedin and we've got them in Northland. We've yep. had stories set there in Auckland, of mm-hmm. course, all over the show. Uh, but Wairarapa, we think of it as niche mm. and, and, and beautiful and lovely. Yeah. What made it the right place? Yeah, I mean, it is it is beautiful and lovely. Um, but there's also the, the sense of sort of small town, um, you know, mutual surveillance that is happening. And this, to me, really lends itself to a great sense of paranoia and, and kind of a hemmed-in feeling whenever I'm there. So, I mean, I did grow up in the Wairarapa um, first in Macedon and then out towards the coast in a, a, um, a farming community called Wanuru. And it is the kind of thing where, you know, you'll be driving in and out of town to, to Macedon and commenting on, oh, you know, this guy's built some new yards. Um, his farm must be doing okay. Oh, they're running low on silage. Like, I wonder, you know, obviously things are a bit lean this year. And this sort of sense that everyone is so into the details of each other's lives um, that it's sort of, yeah, it, it is this feeling of kind of claustrophobia in a sense. And that I thought lends itself really well um, to a story like this where, you know, th- you're, you're, you're looking out for people um, that are watching you from everywhere and the neighbours are always watching. And, yeah, everyone is sort of so, so deep in each other's business. So we have the central character, we have the geography, we have the police station. What's happening here? I I mentioned a missing child, so we're not, no spoiler alerts required, but something is going wrong. And you've got Mm -hmm. this um, hint also of gang gang violence too. So it's, and you start with a storm. So that's exactly how Mm -hmm. it feels that things are are not well in this beautiful area. No, that's it. I mean, something is certainly amiss. Um, And I hope that that sort of feeling of of something being slightly off kilter comes through, you know, right from page one. Um, You know, funnily enough, the, the, um, the storm and the eels. That's very much based in, in a clip that I, uh, that I found on, on YouTube of a guy in Macedon um, commenting on, you know, there being eels in his gutter and sort of tracking them and following them because we had flooding, I, I believe it was a few years back now, four or five years back. I wrote this as part of a master's program and some of the feedback was that was, it was almost leaning a little bit too hard on this sort of biblical, like apocalyptic, you know, eels in the gutters, plague of locusts sort of thing. And I said, well, actually, you know, this is just, this, this happens in Macedon. It has happened. 
The Missing Children, how does it start? As the, as the novel opens, there's, there's uh, one missing child and soon to be another. And this is sort of peripheral for Lorraine in the sense that, you know, she knows of these, these families and it's something that she's getting sort of drawn more and more closely into. But at the same time, there's an element of distance for her, just for her own comfort, you know, not to get drawn into, these, uh, into, into the investigation of these cases in a way because it could become too personal for her. And then, you know, again, without giving anything away, it becomes a lot more personal very quickly uh, for Lorraine and, and for her whanau. And, you know, it, it's not just any, any kids that are going missing, but in particular it's Māori kids from, uh, from families that maybe aren't doing so great. And so there's this element that I wanted to explore um, almost as an allegory for um, Oranga Tamariki, uh, uplifting practices um, a few years ago. And now that, that makes this sound like a really sort of lofty um, social commentary style exercise in this novel. And, and certainly I wouldn't say that was my, my first priority. But, um, yeah, certainly as, as a Pākehā writer, I was thinking a lot about the way those uplifting practices, particularly with, uh, with Pepe Māori, with Māori kids, are, are happening back then, and I, I think it's still happening uh, these days. Uh, what it really means for me um, as, a, as a Pākehā writer, as someone um, with a background in New Zealand, and uh, how should I think about it, and what should we do, I guess, as a community? Well, with one of the missing um, children further down the track, there's a, one of the first instincts is, oh, well, the, the dad's taken them to save them because it's not safe here. And yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, and the father's gone missing. So that's not an unfair assumption, yeah, isn't yeah. it? It's really, but that's the most terrifying thing, the sort of yeah. children going missing. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I actually I worked on this book. Um, I wrote a draft of it before I, my wife and I had our own child. Um, and that sort of gave it a, a real sense of, um, I mean, in a sense, I was writing my way towards a feeling that I, I don't think I quite understood right in the, in the first draft. And then, um, you know, with the, with the birth of our son, it sort of made me realise, like, that this is really is um, a situation of, of utmost gravity. I mean, you can't imagine anything more sort of serious as a, as a parent and as a community. Uh, you have references to, to crime uh, novelists throughout the book. You've yeah. got, you know, at one stage, a whole drawer, I think, of, of Nio Marsh That's books. It, yeah, yeah. And I think Pat's got um, shelves and shelves of, of true crime sure. stories, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. So here I was thinking, well, you're taking us inside your house and you've got mm-hmm. shelves and drawers full of yeah. crime. But as we were coming up here to have a yeah. chat... Uh, not so much, right? It's funny. I mean, I do really enjoy, uh, I guess, the classics. I mean, as we're talking about Raymond Chandler, Naya Marsh. Um, but yeah, when, when it comes to, to modern crime, um, I mean, my secret is that, yeah, I, I don't read all that deeply in, in that as a genre. I certainly should. And the folks um, at Text Publishing were very kind enough to give me a giant bag full of uh, books when I was visiting there in Melbourne, just to sort of brush up a little bit more, I should say. What lovely publishers. Oh, so great. Yeah, really <laughs> wonderful. Um, but I will say, I mean, part of not reading too deeply in that genre maybe has given me the ability um, not to know if something is old hat by this point or not to know what the conventions are. And so you can sort of play a little bit more with it because, you know, when I first set out to write this, it being a crime novel was kind of the, the last thing on my mind. And then, as I mentioned earlier, um, giving it a bit of oomph and giving it a plot around missing kids and having the character of Lorraine be in the police station, even if it is kind of peripheral to the sort of actual case resolution that's going on, it very clearly was leading down that track in terms of genre. And I gave, it, gave the, the manuscript to a friend of mine, and she said, well, duh, you've written, you've written a crime novel. I mean, come on, like, just, just embrace it and lean into it. And, um, yeah, because really, first and foremost, was for me the portrait of the community. And really having having a, a very real uh, sort of character in Lorraine, like a character that can surprise you, that you you really want to spend time with. Not being too critical of of some uh, modern crime writers, but sometimes you do get the feeling that you're reading um, a movie script, and, and and that's cool. A lot of people enjoy doing that, but I, I when I read, it's to spend time with with characters, 
And, you know, I wanted to write a book that, that gave the reader that experience. Paper Cage by Tom Baraguanet is published by Text.